It's been a great morning remembering what Christ has done for us. And I suspect that all of us in this room, in some form or fashion, uh, if you've known Christ for a long time like I have, have had a Sunday school teacher uh, pour into your life. Um, what a blessing it is to see the youth in our church in the little tykes coming up here. I was reflecting on that um, as a parent of adult children now. Uh, our children are 29, 27, and 22. Isaiah graduates this spring. But they were raised in Grace Community Church, and they were taught uh, the principles of God's love and the Word of God, and uh, our children are completely different children because of you who have invested in them. It's a a blessing to my heart even on Wednesday nights um, uh, to watch Josh, our older son, he comes for prayer encounter which I'll encourage you to be part of that too. Um, It's a great time with family. But I watched Sandy Cheek come over and Chuck, they're regulars at Prayer Encounter. And she often, if not every Wednesday night, comes over and gives him a hug. And the reason that's so important to me is I remember when Sandy talked, or Josh, four or five years old, in our old building on Clinton Street in the kitchen... (laughs) It was a Sunday school classroom that was developed there. And she still has a kindred love for our son Josh because of that investment as a young child. And she poured into him. And the principles that were given to our children have greatly impacted them. And I would even say are the reasons why they're still loving Jesus, why they stayed in youth group throughout Uh, their teenage years, why they continue to follow Jesus in college and beyond. I believe it's because of the investment of people and loved ones like yourself. And so from my heart to to yours, thanks. Thanks for investing uh, in our children. I wonder how you can invest too. We've all been gifted, men and women, with the ability as parents to love parents or love your children. It is a sacrifice to serve on Sundays, and often we want to get out of here and run our day. But imagine what it would be like if you could invest in someone, and then they come to know Christ. Mabel Huff did that for me. From a broken home, God, I had three sisters, Uh, Mom was a single mom with four kids. And a church found our name on a prayer list on a Wednesday night. It's one of my passions for prayer. And because of this church knowing that there was a family that was hurting, a church began to pray for our family. And because of the investment of that church and a pastor reaching out to my mom, I sat in a Sunday school classroom 54 years ago green walls, I remember it like today, musty smell, flannel graph, by the way, <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget what Mabel Huff said to me, uh, my dad had left, he was a good man, and just alcohol made the worst version of him, and uh, I remember what she said, she said, Jimmy Brown, I know a father that will never leave you 
nor forsake you. To a five-year-old boy that was um, pretty energetic, uh, it caught my attention. And, and she said, and not only will he never leave you, but he'll walk with you the rest of your life. So as a five-year-old boy in that Sunday school classroom many years ago, I believed her. And you know what? She was right. And for 54 years, God has been with me. And I'm grateful for that. And I think because of her investment in me, I've been able to tell a lot of people about Jesus Christ. Imagine what you could do for someone too. If you were willing to give up your Sunday that you want to rush out because it's your day and say, I'm going to come worship and I'm going to serve. You might invest in the next crazy Jimmy Brown. <laughs> and he might, she might just believe you and for the rest of their life, they will tell people about Christ. I'm grateful for people like Mabel. I'm grateful for Savior that values family. In fact, I believe this statement from our Lord at the cross, woman, here's your son, and to the disciple, here's your mother, was the heart of our Savior. In the heart of our Savior, he is a family man. As Jesus was on the cross, brutally whipped, brutally beaten, spit upon, in total agony, ready, as we would say, to give up the ghost. The undertaker was ready to take him away. Even at his worst, he considered the interests of others. Think about that. Above his own pain. Not once was Jesus concerned with himself. He was more concerned with others. And as he looked down and saw his mother who no doubt was in misery and pain watching her son hang on the cross. He said to her, woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Relationships are the most important thing in our lives. Nothing matters more. As a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a pastor, the most important resource that I have isn't anything I own, it's you, it's people, it's my family. God has designed us, hear me out, to live in community. One of the hardest things during this whole pandemic is, has been the isolation that's taken place. And it's been extremely difficult because we've had to make hard choices. But God has designed us to live in family. In fact, it's deadly too. There are statistics and you can look them up too. It shows that when people begin to live in isolation, there's a 26% higher death rate because God has designed us to rub shoulders, to, to see faces, to get, embrace each other, to touch and learn and live together. As Jesus looked down from the cross while suffering immensely, he remembered his family responsibility. I have responsibility as a father, and hopefully one day I will as a grandfather, as a son, as a brother to my family. And that responsibility has been demonstrated at the cross by Jesus Christ. One of the greatest gifts I have ever received was a Bible that 
I asked for, and I asked my sisters if I could have my dad's Bible. It's the only thing I wanted from my dad when he passed, because I know he's with Jesus and he's rejoicing. It's a special Bible to me because on December the 25th, on December 25th, 1985, I gave this to my dad as a Christmas present. And I wrote in it these, these words. To dad, sure hope this Bible was instrumental in your walk with the Lord. Read and cherish the words and use them in your everyday life. I'm so proud of you, dad. I love you, your son, Jim. You see, I saw my dad come to Christ. He came to Christ after Mabel led me to Christ because we prayed for him. And I'll never forget what my dad said. I asked him, Dad, why did you come to Christ? He said these words that our sibling, my siblings heard. He said, I saw what my kids had, and I wanted that. But because someone invested in me, and I became part of the family, my own dad became part, not only of the physical family, but the spiritual family. As I looked through my dad's Bible, it was a gift, and I still go through from time to time, he had verses highlighted, and one that he had highlighted here in 1 Timothy 5 is this, and my dad lived this out at the end of his life, and it says this in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You see, my dad knew that family was important. He invested in his grandkids. My, my children always saw the redeemed version of my dad, and I am so grateful for that. Also in this Bible, I didn't realize was even there, but inside the Bible was this extra special gift that was inside the Bible that was from, that my dad had folded away and put in the Bible. It's dated April 2015, a few years before my dad died, and it says this. Hey, Dad, I just wanted you to know that I love you dearly. I would never be the man I am today without your investment in my life. I find myself thinking about this a lot these days and how proud I am to be your son. I want you to know that I will always serve God till I die. Thank you for loving me and Ann and Josh and Hannah and Isaiah in such powerful ways. I am proud to carry the brown name on. I love you, Jim. A gift that my dad had carried in his Bible, it meant a lot to him. Family is important. Jesus reminded us on the cross that it was. I want you to grab your Bibles and we're going to unpack this beautiful picture of love from the cross and turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read verses 25 to 27 and we look at another saying from the cross. Would you stand with me as we read it? John 19 verses 25 to 27. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You may have a, a seat. Even in his death, 
Jesus placed the interests of others above his own. Jesus is all about relationships. And he still is today. He dwells with us. He could have set it up in a different way, but think about this. Jesus longed to be with you and me. He could have been separate and far away and ruled completely from heaven. He could have said, those are my people and stayed distance from us. But we see that not only was he ruling in heaven and is, but he wanted to live with us. Not only does he live, he indwells us. We are the temple of God. He designed in such a way that he could be with us to encourage, to convict through the Holy Spirit. Jesus longs to be with us. The picture of family is beautiful. You would think that many followers of Jesus and family members would have been gathered at the cross on that Friday, but they were not. In fact, only one follower as we understand, a disciple was standing at the foot of the cross. The rest of the inner circle, the other ones, as we would call the 11, were nowhere to be seen. Jesus, at his most horrible, lonely, desperate time, didn't have his own inner circle with him. In fact, the disciples all deserted him after he was arrested the night before. Peter denied him three times. Judas, the betrayer, committed suicide. And the rest of the disciples, where were they? It was Jesus, the miracle worker, who had provided. They had spent three years with him, watching him teach and amaze and and perform miracles. They had benefited from the relationship. They had played king of the hill. They had gathered fish and they had enjoyed friendship. Yet on that difficult moment, of his life, most difficult time. They were nowhere to be seen. In fact, John chapter 20 says, this is where they were located. Look at John chapter 20 and verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were, in other words, they had been together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. On the night that Jesus was being crucified, his inner 11, except John, cowered in fear, locked in a house with the deadbolt closed because they were fearful that if the Jews would find out that they were followers, that they might die too. In the moment that he needed them the most, they were locked in a room. I'm sure they convinced each other that hiding was better than standing with Jesus during that weekend. And only a few followers were brave enough to stand there. And hear me out, they were mostly women. You might be quick to say, I would never abandon Jesus. Yet, do you stand for Jesus in the workplace today? Do you stand in the schools and say, I'm a follower of God? Do your neighbors even know that you're a Jesus follower? Are you locked away in your house? Are you locked behind your desk at work? Are you hiding in school with fear of being rejected? 
Look at the ones who did stand with him again in John 19. Look what it says in John 19. It says in verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus' mother, Mary. In fact, we know from history, most likely that Joseph, his earthly father, was already dead by this time. But he was there with his earthly mother. In fact, think about this. She knew he was a virgin birth. No mom wants to see her child suffer this way. But there was mom, and she was familiar with the Old Testament, and I'm sure she scoured it page by page, scroll by scroll, because she knew that she had given birth that was different than the other children that she had birthed. She knew that she didn't have relationships with a man and that somehow the Spirit of God had conceived in her the Messiah, yet she also knew that most didn't even believe her. And so she stood at the cross. She knew death was coming because she read the prophecies of the Old Testament, but she probably didn't understand how gruesome this death would be. She probably had sleepless nights wondering when that day would come. She didn't know when he would die, but I'm sure she knew he would. And the Bible says in Luke 2, she pondered these things in her heart. Isn't that what moms do? You ponder the future of your kids. You watch them make decisions. And and so you lay restless at night wondering, how is that going to work out? Will they ever come back to Christ? Will they ever live to the redemptive potential? The other person located there was Jesus' aunt the sister of his mom. In fact, she was the mother of of James and John, the author of this book, who was at the cross. And then you have Mary, the wife of, of, of Clopas. This is interesting, by the way. Mary, the wife of Clopas. If she's the same one that's mentioned with a different spelling in Luke 24 of Cleopas, who was the two that were on the road to Emmaus that Jesus met, then most likely... Cleopas, who's there, was probably walking not with another man, but was walking with his wife. And Jesus appears to them. And and if you look back at that account in Luke 24, in verse 18, just turn there with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke 24, in verse 18. Look what it says here in verse 18 of Luke 24. They stood, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? He's talking to Jesus, who does not know the things that have happened in these days. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in the word, and died before God and all the people. And so as Jesus was along the way, he ran into the two on the road to Emmaus. Scholars believe that it was probably Clopas, the wife of Clopas, It's the same woman that's at the cross who later would be walking on the road with her husband and Jesus met them. And then we have Mary Magdalene. Jesus had cast seven demons from her and would be the first, she would be the first to see the resurrected Jesus. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved. Some might look at that and say, well, that sounds like a self-brag, doesn't it? John is the only gospel that records this statement. 
the statement that says, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And the reason he records it is because he was there. And Jesus spoke to him. And so the reason he understood that he was the disciple that Jesus loved, it wasn't like, look, I'm special. It was he understood how special it was to be loved by Jesus. Think about that. Do you really understand what it means to be a child of God and what it means to be loved? I was processing that again this week when I was thinking about John. We could say that. Jim, the disciple that Jesus loved. Richard, the disciple that Jesus loved. Cheyenne, the disciple that Jesus loved. And I began to process that. And I just began to weep when I started to think, it's true. He does love me. Never once has he left my side. He has forgiven all of my sins. In the hardest times of my life, you know who my go-to is? It's Jesus. In the highest times of celebration, it's Jesus and my bride. He's never left. I am the disciple. You are the disciples that Jesus loves. To be loved by God, there's no greater love. In addition to that, ask this question. Where was his own family. Jesus was the oldest son. He had four brothers and at least two sisters, we know from Scripture. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 shows us that. He had four brothers and at least two sisters. Matthew chapter 13, look what it says in verses 55 to 56 of Matthew 13. 55 to 56. There's discourse going on. And in verse 55 says, isn't this the carpenter's son, Jesus? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers who? Read it with me. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? We know that he must at least had two sisters because there's a plural to the word sister. If he just had one, it would be sister. We know at least he had two sisters. So he had four half-brothers and two half-sisters. At the most difficult moment in his life, his siblings were nowhere to be seen. You ever wonder why? I know why. Because the primary reasons his brothers weren't there is they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They just thought he was this radical brother who was on this radical path called people of the way. They believed that he was just doing this, 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 this journey that was crazy and he was dying without a cause. And so when the word was out that he was being crucified, they probably looked at each other and said, I'm not following that crazy brother. He's been crazy his whole life. Why go there and watch him die for nothing? How do I know that? Well, look at Mark chapter 3. Matthew, Mark. You should underline all these verses. Mark chapter 3 and verse 21. How do I know that they thought he was crazy? Look what it says in Mark chapter 3. Look at verse 20. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. 
so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his what? What's the word? Family heard about this. They went to take charge of him. For they said, he is what? What's it say? Out of his mind. His own siblings thought he was crazy. That's why they weren't there at the cross. And so when Jesus looked down, he saw women. And one faithful follower, John as he stood there. You see, his own siblings did not believe in the immaculate conception. And I'm sure there were moments as they grew up watching this perfect child do everything right that they didn't like him, but they didn't believe that he was who he said he was. I wonder when they got word that he was resurrected that they regretted not spending more time with him. But the good news is this. Once they saw and heard about their resurrected brother and savior, they would forever be changed. See, here's the good news. Our God's a God of grace, isn't he? We screw some things up, but God's grace continues to fill our lives and and to give us what we need to move on from our horrible decisions. Life has many cycles and seasons Yet may we never neglect our own families. Can I just pull away and speak to men? Dads, how are you doing? Are you really loving your family? Are you really leading your bride? Are they growing in Christ because of your spiritual input in their lives? Are the decisions and transactions that you make as dad, the kind that your children are looking at and saying, I want to be like, not Mike, I want to be like Dad. Are your grandchildren growing in the grace of God because of your now investment after years of growing in Christ with wisdom and time spent with God and understanding grace? When they run to you, do they leave you more like Jesus because of your time spent with him? Do you love your family so much that your greatest desire is to see them chase after Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus established a new family at the cross. Follow me for a second. Both physically and spiritually. I want you to process that thought. What Jesus did at the cross was not only family, but a new physical family and spiritual family. Look again what Jesus said. Woman, here's your son, and to the disciple, here's your mother. In Jewish custom, the final word spoken at crucifixion, like when you were dying on cross, whatever you spoke in your last words were as good as a written will. In fact, it was like the notary stamped it with your own blood. So there would be a recorder there hearing the last words from the the, the, the person's death on the cross. And as Jesus spoke his living last words, the notary stamped it with his blood and he said, woman, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. He established a new identity, a new physical family for John and his own mother. And although Jesus was saving the world of their sin, He was not too busy to care for his own mother. I will admit this week 
that this has been good study for me. I'm reminded of the love that my mother has given me. And as I watch her etch away day by day, I know my God is sovereign. I know my God rules and he's watching over her. I find solace and comfort in knowing that as much as I love my mom, as much as I would long to see her be with Jesus today, that my Savior Jesus loves her more than I do. And he ultimately determines the numbers of our days. And so his purpose is greater than my desires. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that she knows Jesus. By the way, for point of clarity, Jesus' brothers would one day confess on their own that their earthly brother, Jesus, was the Messiah. Think about what happened to them post-resurrection. James would become the leader of the Christian church. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, James. Jesus' brother wrote that book. Now, if he would have written the book of James prior to the cross, it would look a lot different. But he knew that his brother was resurrected and he was the Savior. Jude and James both wrote books. The book of Jude is the brother of Jesus. And if you look at that book, in fact, look at Jude chapter 1 and verse 22. He was such a staunch believer in Christ and such a staunch follower. It's the next to last book of the New Testament. It's only one chapter. Jude wrote this in Jude chapter 1 and verse 22. Look at his heart. This is the heart of Jude who once thought Jesus was crazy, but now follows him with all of his heart. Verse 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by doing what with them? What's it say? Snatching them from the what? Fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. As we know from history, John was the cousin of Jesus. And his mom was standing beside him at the cross. And John's response was what in verse 27 when Jesus said that to him? Here's what John did. Verse 27. And verse 27 says, And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, it says, From that moment on, this disciple, John, took her into his home. It's a great honor to be employed by Jesus, isn't it? That's what he's happened. That's what's happened. Here's your job. John, you take care of my mom. And from now on, this is your mom. You had a family, and your mom is standing next to you, but guess what? You got two moms. Take care. And it's an incredible gift from God to be employed and trusted to make disciples, sharing the good news of the gospel. What a beautiful thing that must have been. As John said from that moment on, Jesus did the same for us. If you go to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, Jesus has entrusted us and employed us to go make disciples of all nations. That's our responsibility. And the question is, how are we doing? Jesus gave his mother a new identity as John's mother and John a new identity as Mary's son. 
Even though John's actual mother, Salome, was standing there with him. Jesus created a new family. That is exactly what he does when he adopts us as his children too. Here's what I love about the local church. And this is why Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, which we're uncertain of, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, do not neglect the gathering of saints. Why? Because we're family. And we gotta see how we're doing, don't we? We get together and how you doing? And can I pray for you? Can I touch you? And for me personally, and, and our family personally, we love the local church. And we have given our lives for this family. You, you are my family. You are my brother. You are my sister. I'm your brother whether you like it or not. <laughs> but we're family. And the body of Christ is a beautiful, beautiful. Not just here. You can go to any church where Jesus is someone's savior and the spirit of God lives in him. And there's an instant bond because we are the brothers and sisters on planet earth of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Amen? My life has been richer because of you and so many other brothers and sisters. I love spending time with brothers and sisters because we're family. Jesus understood that your spiritual success is only as strong as your spiritual support system. So he created a strong family. And I love what the book of Revelation says, and John will later write, every tribe, every nation, every race, every color will be together one day with their heavenly Father and Jesus Christ as Lord in heaven. But the truth is, where does that leave us then? We could say, well, that's great, a new spiritual family. We were adopted into this family from the foundation of the world. We were predestined to be his. And so at the cross, he, he, he died for us. If Jesus didn't die, hear me out, then we, we couldn't be grafted in because a, a sacrifice had to come to save us of our sins. We couldn't be family in our sin-filled states, but Jesus chose to die for us and take all the sins of the world, and because he was a perfect sacrifice, we now took the righteousness of Jesus on us, and now we get to be part of the family of God. That's good stuff, I'm telling you. That's what took place at the cross. So as children of God, we are called to care for our families. I read from my dad's Bible earlier in 1 Timothy 5.8, and it says this, anyone who does not provide for his own relatives, and especially his own household, has denied the faith, Paul said to young Timothy, who was an up-and-coming pastor. And so he's sitting with Timothy, and he says, Tim, come here, Tim. I, Paul, want to tell you something. If you don't care for your own family, if you don't instruct them in the ways of the Lord, if you don't invest in them, if you don't love them, if you're not with them, if you're not pouring into them, then listen, Tim, I'm gonna tell you something. As a, a veteran believer in God, and I'm writing this letter to you in 1 Timothy, you have, un, you have literally become what unbelievers are, and you have denied the faith. Why would he say that? <gasps> Let's back it up to the cross. Because Jesus said at the cross that family 
is the most important thing on planet Earth. (laughs) He gave his life. And that's why Paul could look at young Timothy and say, you have denied the faith. Because at the cross, family was established spiritually and physically. So what does that mean to us? It means a lot. It's challenging. You see, you and I, as sons and daughters, are never discharged from the sacred obligation of caring for our families. Hear me out. Doesn't matter what age you are, moms and dads. (laughs) We're never discharged. It's not like we say, well, I'm done. No. You always have a role, whether it's grandpa or grandma or great-grandpa or great-grandpa, whatever it is, you and I will never be discharged from our responsibility, the sacred obligation of leading and loving and showing what a Christ follower should be. Plus, the fifth commandment tells us to honor our mother and father. And Jesus knew this commandment well, Exodus 20 Verse 12 in Ephesians 6, 1 and 3. Can we define the word what it means to honor your mother and father? It means to defer, to respect, to submit, to have love and appreciation for. It means to place value on something or someone. By the way, there are different stages in honoring your parents. The child years, here's what it means in the children years, like the little kids that were here today. It means you obey what they say. Honor equals you do what they say. You don't have a choice. Do it. In the adolescent years, what does it mean? It means you respect them. You talk about them well. You don't yell at them. You don't stomp out of the room. You don't call them stupid and post it on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. You love them. You show respect for your parents. What does it mean in adult years to honor our parents? You care for them and you show them dignity. Some of us have some room to grow in that area. You are not the little boy or girl anymore. You listen and consider what they say. Hear me out, moms and dads. If you're a parent and you have an adult child, your child listens, but they don't have to do what you told them to do. And you don't stomp your feet like the little kid and leave when they don't. You give them advice as the child. You hear it. You don't have to obey it. It's not the government's role, too, for you to provide, for them to provide care for for your parents. And as an adult child, you must own the responsibility of not remaining isolated and separated from them. Find a way to care, to love. Whenever you get a chance, speak highly of them. Write a letter to them. Call them. Text them. No parent will ever stop a word of encouragement from his kids or her kids. Maybe for some of you, I don't know what your childhood has been like, and maybe it's a horrible picture. But what I do know is this. Maybe even the best way to honor them is by becoming the father or mother you wish you always had. Honoring them will also mean it will impact your financial bank. 
Find a tangible way of showing them with your actions that you love and honor them. The word honor in the Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 passage is the Greek word tomeo. This is an interesting word. And in the context and the culture of which Paul wrote that in Ephesians, the word honor and tomeo can be translated to care for them financially. We remind our kids of that often. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny, okay? You see, as your parents age, their health fades and your health strengthens and your roles often even reverse. They put diapers on you and you put diapers on them. And so every time you make a decision, don't think in terms of what is best for me, but ask, how would this glorify God in caring for my parents? What will honor God and what is glorifying to God is good for us. I love the blessing that's attached to honoring our parents. Sometimes I watch this unpack and I just sit back and I just think, I don't judge. And I wonder how that person's life will turn out because they're always breaking bad on their parents. They have nothing good to say. They throw them under a bus. And the truth is this, it says, when you honor your mother and father, you will live long and well in the land of God. Think about this. The quality of your life will be richer and the quantity of your life will be longer by living out honoring your mother and your father. Anytime I witness a strained relationship with a child and parents, I often wonder how much they have shortened their life. You see, the emotional and psychological impact on that relationship causes pain and distress, which often leads to unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and frustration. And the truth is, those things will shorten your life. Jesus gave us all to bring his family together and for people to spend eternity forever together. The church of Jesus Christ, hear me out, was founded by a family man. And in the last hours of his life, he was not thinking of himself. He was thinking about his family. Amen? Oh God, I pray that today we would walk away encouraged, affirmed, convicted, challenged, grateful. God, I am so grateful that Jesus from the foundation of the world was slain, Revelation tells us. And the only way that we could become part of the family of God was if he gave his life on the cross. And not only did he give a new physical family, but he gave a new spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters together because of the death on the cross for our sins. Oh God, I am so grateful that you love me. And I am so grateful that you sent Mabel Huff into my life.
And she shared the good news of Jesus. She was right. That once Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, he will never leave you nor forsake you. God with us, Emmanuel, has come. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand quietly in this auditorium and the other auditorium. Just stand. I would love to close as your shepherd a family blessing on you today. And I ask you just from a receiving mode, if you're comfortable, just turn your palms up. Hold them as an open blessing from me to you as your pastor. This is my hope and blessing for you. So just be blessed by this today. May the Lord bless you and keep you and let his face shine upon you. May he overwhelm you with his love and surprise you with his presence. May he help you to step out in faith and trust him in a fresh way. May he smile on you and be gracious to you and restore brokenness in your family. May he answer that prayer request that is close to your heart today. May he help you develop a love for the lost and lead someone to Jesus this week. May he fill you with hope and fulfill your goals and dreams. May your wayward children return home to Jesus. May he hold your hand and carry you when you fall down and strengthen you. May he help you to carve away times of rest, quietness, and stillness this week. May he take every anxious thought and replace it with peace. May your children and their children always follow Jesus. May he help you pass on a godly legacy to this generation and the next. May God himself, the God of power, sanctify you through and through. May your family and marriage become a mooring point of hope for our lost world. May he equip you with everything good to do his will, and may he work in you what is pleasing to him. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as you walk in freedom and salvation because of his work on the cross. To him be the glory, honor, power, and praise forever and ever and ever. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.